0: Oh, oh, one more thing. Oh, well, listen, there's one
1: more thing. Uh, just one more thing. Welcome to Just One More Thing, a podcast about Colombo. I'm John Morris, and I'm RJ White. This time out, we're talking about Colombo and
0: the murder of a rock star. Originally aired April 29th, 1991, starring Daphne Coleman. Shira Denise, Cheryl Paris, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. It was directed by Alan J. Levy and written by William Reed Woodfield.
1: And every episode of Just One More Thing, we're joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time around, it's Nate Patron, music critic for Pitchfork.com, City Pages, and Wondering Sound. But before we bring in Nate, RJ, tell us a little bit about this week's episode.
0: Okay, basically, you've got Dabney Coleman is a brilliant, so we're told, told. uh, defense attorney who's never lost a case. He's also dabbling in huge high-rise real estate development. Well, he's been living low these last four years with a faded former pop rock star. But the problem is he finds out that she's been cheating on him with her former drummer. What does he do? Does he break up there? Does he throw her out of the house? Well, he does throw her out of the house. But after that, he decides he's going to murder her. Using some sort of plot with a bunch of drug champagne, trying to frame the drummer. It gets complicated. involves rakes, uh, Chinese uh, handymen, whatnot. Columbo's got it figured out. And there you go.
1: That's what we'll be talking about. Very concise. Yeah. Uh, At this point... concise. (laughs) Well, it's a mess of an episode. Let's be honest. Kind of. And on that note, let's bring in our guest. Nate Patron, how are you doing today, Nate?
2: Uh, Not too shabby. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing swell. So
2: okay, Nate? Who the heck is the rock
0: star in the title supposed <laughs> to be an analog of, do you think? With your expertise Jeez. in the biz. Well, One or a whole bunch or a particular genre? Who
1: the heck is she supposed to be? Or do you think more likely the writers have never heard a rock and roll song in their entire lives? Well, that's also possible. No idea what rock musicians are really like.
2: Yeah. That could be a distinct possibility and I mean When the when the episode first started, and I've got a lot of things to say about this opening sequence, but first (laughs) and foremost, I was thinking, okay, it's 1991. Now, the musical landscape in 1991, as far as like current pop stars, you know, coming out of the 80s, we have a landscape that's dominated by, you know, Michael and Janet Jackson, Prince, Madonna, Whitney Houston. That's kind of like in the pop and R and B areas. Hair metal's on the wane, but you you know hard rock is still a big deal. Like especially with Guns N' Roses coming out with the uh, Use Your Illusion one and two, uh, Metallica crossing over with the Black album. Uh, Alt rock hasn't quite hit that sort of supernova point with uh, Nirvana's Nevermind and Pearl Jam's Ten. That was a little later in the year, but you still had like on the horizon like REM and Jane's Addiction were breaking through to wider audiences, and Lollapalooza like the first edition was later that year. And, of course, hip-hop. Uh, I mean, artists we now consider classic artists. Like, you know, Tribe Called Quest, Ice Cube, Public Enemy, they were, they were on a roll. And then in the uh, top 40, you had uh, dominating MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice. So, the music landscape circa 1991 is a very rich vein to be mined. And that is why I was a bit thrown by Marcy. <laughs> who is the? I, I'm trying to find a way to describe the song that plays at the beginning. And the song that
0: plays at the beginning, not just plays at the beginning, but apparently when she's making out with this guy having the affair, she likes to play her old albums.
2: It's this, it's, which is kind of their old strange. strange. He's
1: strange. the drummer on it too, so yes. they're listening to the albums. Yes, that they, they listening to their
2: old now. record. And how it, can, can you? How can you even concentrate when that's happening? Like, if you're a musician and you're having sex to your own music, it, how hard is it for your mind to not wander to, like, I don't know, I don't know if we, we really should have went with this take. I don't like <laughs> the way it pronounced heart in the chorus. I'm sure, just, there, just,
1: I'm sure there must be some coitus interruptus of, like, God damn it, the high end sounds like a robot chewing gum. This is why it peaked <laughs> at number 23. <laughs> oh, that's right. They must get to the the songs on the album that, like, the studio made them do.
2: Yeah,
0: and that's, well, that's the thing. they listen to this one song, it's like their one hit. Like I imagine it's a yeah. sadder thing where this was their one hit and they just put the CD on repeat and they listen to this one song oh. over and over well, they and over show,
2: again. Like they show on the wall. She's got like a bunch of gold platinum records yeah. dating, judging from the general graphic design of the album covers, probably <laughs> mid to late 80s. Right. And it's, it's just perplexing because this song sounds like I'm trying to think. It's it's not quite new wave. It's not quite pop. I was thinking, Go-Go sort of a like a. Bit. Well, I I heard like a sort of a sub proto rock set thing going. Oh, okay. we oh, kind dear. of like maybe <laughs> so rock like, set. Maybe a first draft of something that would. You know, later be put in the hands of Jem and the holograms. Nice. Oh, okay.
1: my, my wife had a couple picks. My wife suggested Pat Benatar or Sub Pat Benatar.
2: Oh, uh, I would say Sub Pat Benatar.
1: Yeah. I think Benatar. And I was thinking I think maybe. The one
0: thing is, anybody you pick, you got to put the word
1: sub in sub.
2: front of it. No yeah, also
1: it. A, a Sub Laura Branigan.
2: Oh. Oh, dear. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, like, to get into the musical critique aspect of this, which. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we'll be running that much through this episode because the music aspect seems to take a major backseat after like 15 minutes. Well, thank God. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> for,
0: for a little bit. Talk about, then it comes back in. There's a very special cameo later on.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Get to that. Yes. Yeah, let's get through the opening.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The opening lyric of this song <laughs> is maybe the best unintentional Springsteen parody lyric <laughs> ever I was, was running a like a shadow, shadow on a hungry street. Oh, you heard hungry, hungry too. too? I knew it was hungry, yes. Okay. Wow. Well, well, what
1: RJ and I had a little... It was? Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought it, was, it was one way. I thought it was a one-way street. I
2: think it's hungry. I'm well, pretty it's sure a, it's hungry.
1: I well, had my headphones you know, on. It's,
2: it's not an. It's not a mid '80s pop song without a mondegreen in it. So. True, uh,
1: <laughs> and I checked. Rap Genius doesn't have the lyrics for this, Shit. so <laughs> I can't tell for sure.
0: <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So, I, I mean, basically, the consensus we came up with was uh, she wasn't. It wasn't a very good band. She wasn't a very good artist. But then she apparently Portland. sold a hell of a lot of records. But then something happened in the the intervening years between her doing. Uh, being this hit and meeting Dabney Coleman's character and she just completely went off, went out of the business and everything. Just completely I,
1: That was left writer. up to us. I had to sort of assume that she met Dabney Coleman because her band either she or someone in the band needed oh, a lawyer. I some
0: trouble, yes. You know. A murder lawyer?
1: Uh, yeah, he, he's the world's most brilliant well, murder lawyer, apparently. Either,
0: either that or I, I, got, I got another thing on that. You know, he probably someone on the label, a label executive mm-hmm. or an agent needed somebody cuz those guys are always sleazy for oh, he's Phil. so so he got some so he got like some backstage passes for a couple of shows. like, "Oh, this young people's music, whatever." And then he meets this rock star chick like, "Oh, well, hey, you know, uh, rock music's not so bad after all." And then they start <laughs> seeing each other. Uh, he's a rich, successful uh, you know, and I think things went from there maybe. That that's Well, my I'll theory. tell
1: you, my, my piecing it together was that later in the episode we'll find out that the man Marcy's having an affair with, her former drummer, yes. uh, had some trouble with the law, including possible sexual assault. That's true. Oh. Which might have been how Dabney Coleman's character got involved because the label would have hired a uh, defense attorney. Well, to... they would have
0: hired the only defense attorney who
1: has never lost a case in
0: the whole country. The apparently. best defense
1: attorney. Good. Well, how can you beat a defense like, look at this man, his face is really nice?
0: Hold on. Yeah. Are these the bit. eyes
2: of a killer? Oh, they're <laughs> clearly not.
0: That's the thing. Uh, I want to know. I want to know the courtroom. Okay, there's two things about the courtroom scene. Oh. One, I want to know how that turned out. That case, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, two, well, you want it. Two, he's never lost the case. It, it points out one of – because this episode, I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school, gentlemen, when I say this wasn't a very good episode of Columbo. But one of the best things about it was uh, Dabney Coleman because he's in there. Just being Dabney Coleman, you hire Dabney Coleman to be in a show. This is what you want him doing, what he does in this episode. And one of the things that's so frustrating is that courtroom scene gives us tiny glimpse to an unmade television pilot from the early 90s that only exists in R.J. White's head now, where Dabney Coleman is this jerk defense attorney doing that kind of stuff in the courtroom every single week, being a jerk, uh, hiring a sleazy PI, everything else. That's the show I want to see out of this. I want to see Dabney Coleman. In the late 80s, early 90s, like an hour long thing by, I don't know, Stephen Bochco, David E. Kelly, I don't know, whoever would have done it at that time, doing this Dabney Coleman show where he's an ethically sort of bent uh, defense attorney, doing whatever it takes to win things for his clients. Yeah, Crichton's care. Law.
1: Yes, there we go, yes. Crichton's yes. Law. Dabney Coleman is Hugh Crichton. Yes. Shira sure, Denise, the Theme by Mike Post. The, the, yeah, yeah, yes,
0: yes, exactly. Theme by Mike Post. You know, there's probably, I'm guessing there's a lot of like a weird jazzy music in the theme. Who knows? But that's a show I want to see. Uh, but instead, uh, we get this deal here.
1: Yeah, lest let's we get pilloried in the comments section. Let's let, make, it, make it a point that Dabney Coleman batted at home. He did. Oh, he, wonderful. Was, he was, wonderful he was at full Dabney Coleman. Peter yes. Falk was at full Peter Falk. Or well, my
0: mom would probably hate him because my mom never liked Dabney Coleman. Dabney right, Coleman, you told me that before. Dabney She's Coleman. So the two guys she always hated Dabney Coleman and um, uh, Martin Mull. Oh yeah! Wow. Couldn't stand those two guys very specifically.
1: <laughs> she hates I white it. Uh And then the scenes with Falk and Coleman together.
0: Oh, those are good too. Yes, they're fantastic. Is I it? would
1: say they maintained the energy of a Culp Falk scene.
2: Oh well, high praise and very. I'm yeah, very, right, uh, You're right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, and I think it like uh, yeah, it benefited from two people whose uh, best way of uh, getting what they want out of their work. Uh, involves getting on people's nerves.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's this one part um, after, um, oh, okay, a little bit, bit of background in case people haven't seen the episode. Um, so, David Coleman kills a girlfriend, seemingly starting to get away with it. His uh, associate in the law firm, played by Peter Falk's wife, by the way, um, okay. who we first encountered her on this podcast. Uh, back in the uh, the um, uh, William Shatner episode, that was like her very first role. That's where she and Peter Falk met, got married like a year later, and then she ended up being like, what, six episodes or something like that?
1: Yeah, she was she was in many.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, she figures out uh, that Dabney Coleman probably did the murder, and so she pretty much extorts him, saying like, all right, well, guess what? I'm a partner in your law firm now, and we're getting married. So there's this great scene where... Columbo comes by, and she's just redecorating the entire office. And there's this one <laughs> part where Danny Coleman's like looking out at the door of his office, kind of like, "Oh my god, she's changing everything. I've made a huge mistake." And he just has this look of just just henpecked sorrow on his face, which is kind of hilarious. And then he's That's got the Columbo th- coming in. That's Although the thing I do was think.
1: Like... Oh no, uh, you go, sir. You're the guest.
2: Thank you. Uh, I do think that. Hopefully, and they make a joke about this that her design sense is not permitted to uh, kind of get into uh, his office. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. His office, which the first time we see it, it is just brown. <laughs> <laughs> well, brown, All brown, brown yeah, with, brown and beige, with yeah.
0: evidence from murder cases or horrible trials, just on the shelves, not books, yeah. not law books, mind you, but like just weird. He has a skeleton
1: in there. It's like Batman's Batcave. A little bit, There should be a giant penny and a car in there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, skeleton, a case full of guns. (laughs) There is an anatomical bust that's like a Mm -hmm. cutaway that shows, like, the, you know, like, the torso's organs and all those things, like you see in medical school. These are all things that
0: were added after the episodes of Creighton's Law.
1: I like to think that on the sideline he actually talks to young people about the changes in their body at puberty, and he uses that anatomical (laughs) model. You're growing up now. Like, Take a look at the human body, and he takes that model out. You'll begin to get hair here and here.
2: (laughs) And he's pointing to his upper lip. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love Dabney
0: Coleman so much. Yeah, he's very good. He's he's a a wonderful guy.
2: Uh, Now, in this
0: episode, I want to bring up something uh, here at the outset. Uh, This is... Yeah, the first one of these we've talked about that goes into the 90s ones. Right. And these are different episodes. Completely different feel to them than the 70s ones. Because what, what, what was the break between them? It was like, what, 10, 12, 15 about years? About 10 years. Yeah, about 10, 10 years. They decided so to... mostly,
2: yeah, most of the Reagan years, because like a schlub putting rich people in jail might not have flown too <laughs> well, well back then. Yes, good exactly.
0: <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um So, I mean, so everything's, I mean, from the title of the episode, I mean, because usually the titles were kind of clever, had something to do with it. This one is just Columbo and the Murder of a Rock Star. Well, yeah, that's what happens. Exactly. Columbo's in it, and
2: a rock star is murdered. Very good. It's a title and a TV guide synopsis all in one. Well,
1: that's a good intro to one of my absolute least favorite elements about this episode is there's an attempt to create a slightly noir element oh this de-
0: oh that detective guy oh <laughs> yeah. my god let's talk the about bank? sam
1: sam marlowe so yeah oh, so he's so apparently um made.
0: dabney coleman's attorney character has a uh, private investigator on retainer and you see him in the opening scene he's just this kind of weird looking guy wearing like a fedora and stuff like oh, okay whatever yeah you know, he's he's one of those uh men's rights fellows maybe who knows <laughs> fedora then, and a
2: three-piece
0: but then you see him later on when colombo goes to try to get some evidence from him and uh, john go ahead i can't talk about it He's
2: absolutely so, so so sam marlowe is uh sam obviously, Marlo for crime. i know ladies That's and like gentlemen a- sam marlowe come on was like naming a fictional baseball player babe maze that was <laughs> a
1: there's a there's a comic book super villain totally. Uh, There's a comic book supervillain named the Asp who's supposed to be an an Egyptian supervillain, and her real name is Cleopatra Nefertiti. (laughs) Which has always delighted me because that's like naming, if you had a character, an American character named like Marilyn Monroe Hot Dog. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, yeah, he's obviously, he's a portmanteau of Sam Spade and and Philip Marlowe. And he's dressed in the 1940s. Don't waste that
0: lovely word on this shitty character, John. Uh, I'm sorry.
1: Uh, Well, I'll tell you, here's, Let me describe the scene first, and then I'll go into my my primary complaint. So Columbo goes to confront Sam Marlowe, Detective Sam Marlowe, at some point, and he walks into the office, and all of a sudden, the camera is up on the ceiling, and we're shooting the scene through the blades of a ceiling fan, which is a real noir shot, Yeah, and there's light coming in from the outside through the shuttered window, and the office is real old-timey, and he's got his feet on the desk, and he's got his hat slung low, and he's talking tough, like an old-time detective, and obviously it's it's meant to be a little – it's a bit of a wink. It's kind of – well, not a bit of a wink. It's a huge, obvious wink right. of modern detective Columbo meeting classic old-style detective Sam Spade slash Philip Marlowe. But what's so irritating about that or one of the many things that's so irritating about that is Sam Spade and, and Philip Marlowe in a literary sense – were such important characters because the cities, the California cities they inhabited were as much a character of their books mm. as were the actual characters. And yet all Sam Marlowe is, is like a wink and a joke and a bit of a nudge. And he's a detective from the forties.
0: But I mean, there's also, and, and Falk mm. plays the scene so straight. He does. He's doing yeah. it like, like he was going into like, uh, to, to, to break down, uh, Jim Rockford or something like that. He's going in like he's, yeah, but he's playing it so straight when you've got this, guy ridiculously cosplaying as a 1940s obsessed right.
1: nerd you could have in just Aaron's walked office it would have been like if he walked in and it was the only furry detective in la just like <laughs> a guy in a rabbit suit yeah it it made it is a it's a really jarring thing in an episode that already was just like a jar of jelly beans
0: well another thing that bothers yeah. me too about that and boy it, it sounded like we we're really getting down on this thing but whatever yeah um But, I mean, the fact that they they did that establishing shot with a fan, they were trying to call back to, you know, the old films, the old film noir things. And that's one thing that really struck me is, like, being the first 90s when we are watching with this. Like, that didn't feel like it fit at all. It felt very artificial in the entire episode. It just felt cheap like the rest of the episode, Mm -hmm. you know? It just feels very much like a television show, a lot more than the 70s ones do. The 70s ones feel like small films, short films. But this just felt like, oh, oh, hey, this is kind of, yeah, this is definitely on around the same time period as Murder, She Wrote and Matlock, because it looks just the same. Just right. the maybe shots, personal... the, the lighting, the composition, it all just feels very cheap and small and television-ish. Yeah,
2: yeah and maybe this is just a per- personal bias, because uh, I think I'm probably the, f- uh, am I the first guest who is actually, like, alive and of TV-watching age when the episode aired,
1: no, we've well, no, heard. no. I, mean, yeah. I was too. I mean, this I was yeah. But be, about half our guests have it. Leonard was our first guest, so oh
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I forgot he, he's Leonard. like he's <laughs> like sixty or something. So yeah, that's yeah. That's he's funny.
2: like, <laughs> but um, but I have this association with certain aesthetics of the early '90s, just the way things look. That no matter you know if they were on a major network and were part of a long-running franchise. Just looks cheap. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. like just ugly clothes, ugly cars. Like the way that people like tended to think about the seventies, like a couple decades after the seventies, is how I sort of see the nineties, you know, yeah. from modern perspective. Like there's this one scene where uh Dabney Coleman, Hugh Creighton, drives like a Lexus, like a circa nineteen ninety one of those Lexus coupes that's like two tone. It's like white, yeah. but it's got the sort of like silver, you know, side skirts. I'm like, I for, almost forgot how ugly that guitar oh, yeah. <laughs> is. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, hopefully and, by the by yeah, the 2020s,
0: the- 2030s, people will be like, well, "Wow, remember when TV shows looked great in the early 90s? Now they won't ever <laughs> be thinking that."
1: No. no, am I am I wrong in thinking too that that early '90s television, maybe late '80s television, had a real fascination with the fe- with doing an episode with a '40s character in it? I feel like every sitcom and every show I ever watched, there was always the guy who would walk in wearing a fedora and a three piece suit, talking like a detective.
0: That's, that's, likely, that's like vaguely like a, familiar.
1: Yeah, like so I'm sure Star Trek: The Next Generation probably had a holodeck thing. No, oh, I think they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like, everybody yeah. was a detective. Right. Uh, I don't think we count Harry Anderson because he just lived that. But I <laughs> yeah, feel like there much. was there was always a '40s character walking around every show. Or, or they something.
0: would do some episode where someone gets bonked on the head and imagines that they're in, oh, some yeah. '1940s thing. Yeah.
2: It could be like the pernicious influence of Hollywood motion pictures here, because that could be a span from, let's say, Who Framed Roger Rabbit through Dick Tracy.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's a good point.
2: Yeah. Anyhow. So uh, um, there's
1: there's a lot oh, to go over in this episode because it's a real mess.
2: Are we going to go over it chronologically? Here? No, no, no. Uh,
1: We're just gonna, whatever comes whatever, up. Whatever steps so That's up. what we usually Although, show.
0: Yeah, we don't do chronological. It's just kind of like what, what points do you remember? Should we talk about actual Columbo his, himself, like uh, Peter Falk and everything? Because that's another thing that really struck me with this being the first 90s episode I've seen since – the early 90s, it just seems odd just the way he's playing it, where it's like, well, we, all of the th- obvious notes that everybody remembers from the beloved old Columbo years right. on purpose and just doing it so blatantly.
1: Well, I think all three of us talked about this earlier that we love Columbo's first interaction on this episode.
0: Oh, that, yeah, that uh, 299 thing. The first thing yeah. you hear Columbo <laughs> doing, he's just <laughs> driving in, driving into the scene of a murder, and he notices uh, some guy with a boombox. He's like, hey, how would you pay for that? Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine? Like you cannot believe the price. But <laughs> I was hilarious. You, that had me feel like, okay, this is good. This is gonna be great. And this guy like, oh well, that was kind of one of the best moments he had.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All well, this long haired beach dude, you know, with a with a boom box presumably sourced from the prop room that, you know, it was last used in a nineteen eighty five breakdancing exploitation film. And <laughs> yeah, he's just listening to generic I guess most of the music in this you could call it television rock. Right, right. Yeah. It's just
1: credit created by uh, Steve Dorff. By the way, was the composer for this episode, and uh, hey. also father of actor Steven Dorff.
0: Yes. No kidding. Yes. Yes. And probably at Thanksgiving <laughs> dinners has to listen to about the freedom of e-cigarettes all the time. The <laughs> damn
1: thing, Dad. Hey, you know, don't understand Dad. vaping.
0: Hey, Dad. You know. Well, go outside for a smoke? Not really. Well, it's not real cigarettes. I've got the freedom, because I'm an adult, to use my e-cigarettes. I don't even have to leave the house. I can stay right here at the turkey.
1: I'm pretty o- sure this okay, is RJ's, RJ's big issue.
0: Was, <laughs> those ads. Those that ads ish. of his are so, I just, those ads bug me.
1: Whatever. I still only ever think of Stephen Dorff from Blade. <laughs> Never That's seen that film. I don't know. Oh, man. you've got to see the Blade I movies. I haven't,
0: I don't, I don't see that. I don't like vampire stuff. And it's even worse. It's nerd vampire stuff. It's oh, comic it's book tremendous vampire stuff. Th- but the know. Wesley Snipes
2: aspect should probably balance that out. Yeah, yeah probably should.
0: There's I a should, there's no, a
1: Donal right. Lo- there's some Donald Logue too. Oh,
2: he's in it. His- and Chris Christofferson.
1: And Chris Christopherson. Oh, oh, it's man. a good and and Triple H isn't he? <laughs> oh really?
2: I think he's only in the third. He's one. He's in the third
1: one. <laughs> yeah, the third oh, wow. one's not. Yeah, you got to watch all three though.
2: Oh no.
0: Well,
1: we just uh, hold on. Let me look at the Venn diagram written up again. Okay. Blade <laughs> and Combo. Okay. But no, well, sorry. Back, back to uh, back to Colombo. Yeah. Yes. Well,
2: we're still in the general vicinity of talk about uh, the price of consumer electronics. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's there's the one scene where they're in the kitchen. Of oh the yeah, and he just sees a stereo on the home. counter and asks how much.
0: It's like one of those old,
2: like, like yeah, one of those late '80s dual deck, you know, shelf tops units, and he picks it up. He's like, "How much is this?" And the like the officer uh, who was up later in a very important moment. Yeah. But at the time, the officer, just, you know, a person on the scene, she goes, oh, yeah, that that runs you about 599 Really? That seemed a bit high to me.
0: I, I worked because at, because the big the big uh, boombox, the guy out had, of had front, looked a lot larger and more complicated than that little just uh,
2: countertop device. Unless yeah, it was a nice... It like we it, didn't get to like, see the brand. I don't know. Well, if it had a CD player in, in it, it might have been like a couple hundred... And I know this is a few years later, but I used to work at Montgomery Wards in the electronics department during the, uh, like, 1996 holiday season. And, yeah, that is not a $600 piece of equipment by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Maybe it was a Bose. I think they they had to make it – they just had to make it seem like this is where a wealthy person hung out.
0: We didn't get to see the front of it. Maybe also it Uh was solid gold. (laughs) <laughs> on the front of it, but they neglected to point that towards the camera. I was like, oh, we we should redo this. But no, we got we the next shot. Set up the next shot. We got to go outside. We got to watch the audio file system. The there,
1: was a, uh, there was a thing that Columbo did when he got into the house and he was, somebody told him the name of the murder victim and he was doing the Mossy, Mossy, that's my, my wife's nephew's favorite singer. <laughs> Which didn't play into it at all, so there was no reason for him to say it. But it, it felt like that's a tactic Columbo often uses to get into people's, to get into celebrities' vanity. Right. Where's that, you know, you're my wife's favorite actor. My wife never misses your show. And he breaks it out this time, and there's nobody he says it to. He just says it to a room full of cops. Yeah. So it it serves no purpose whatsoever. It just felt like they were just putting like a little, oh, you guys know Columbo, right? He's Daffy, and they make him say something funny.
0: But one thing I thought almost worked for me with that in this is that it felt very much like, Oh, okay, well, no, here you go. Here's what ha- happens when Columbo just takes that natural path of just being kind of, he's an old man now. It's, it's mm-hmm. the old man Columbo, and he's just going to kind of get odder and stranger and weirder and just do stuff like that all the time.
1: Well, that so was I don't my- know, but
0: I don't know if that was on purpose they're doing that, or, yeah, like you said, they're throwing in Columbo's greatest hits.
1: But well, him being kind of an old man also led to one of our other favorite scenes, which is the confrontation in Coleman's office when he throws Columbo out.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I love that. And and yeah, when, yeah. Col-
1: you know, Columbo flat out says, he's, I do think you had something to do with the murder, sir. And Coleman says, take your corpse and get out. And Colum- R.J., Columbo's response is? Oh. That's really good.
0: It's just great. It's just this lovely <laughs> pause he does. It's like, oh, okay. So I'm oh. playing it that way. Oh. I thought right. you were going somewhere more, more obscene
2: with the corpse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I thought we were just going to have a friendly confrontation, but yes. now I guess I have to leave.
0: Oh, okay. That You're was be Dabney Coleman on me. All
1: right. Oh, well, such go. a good scene. Yeah, I loved great. all the Coleman folk. Uh, so back in, back at the house, we're going to have to eventually get to the um, the rock and roll chimney sweep, <laughs> who uh, Darcy was having an affair with, yeah, who had
0: guy, I I was I swore to God, up and down. Oh man, he's like some American actor doing a uh, doing a
1: bad British accent. No. Nope. Like he was Major nope. Dick Van Dyking
2: that accent, yeah. and yet.
0: But it turns out, John, he's British. Yeah, he's a British yeah. dude.
2: Uh, that, that was one of the surprises I found out about him from his IMD page. Mm-hmm. The other surprise I found out about him is that he does a lot of voiceover work. Yeah, I saw that too on there. In, in, yeah, yeah. in, video, games in video games and, cartoons, and animated films, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I can only hope that his that his you know voice acting. Is much more nuanced.
1: It must have been Mockney. He must have been doing, Yeah. You know, just like a like they said. We need you to be like a rough and tumble British guy. Because he, and then he said, "All right, I'll do me Dick Van Dyke." And then that's how we got that. Yeah.
2: And that really, that really goes hand in hand with the outfit he shows up in later, where he looks like, <laughs> yeah. like he's he's the Topper Heaton in Straight to Hell, Santa Monica's number one <laughs> Clash tribute band. <laughs> I thought he
1: just wandered in from the Patty Smythe uh, scandal featuring Patty Smythe warrior video. That's that's your that's your dressing down.
0: Well, let's while we're on that.
1: Yes. Uh, when, when
0: we do see him in the uh, in the in that outfit, it's a wonderful scene when out of nowhere Columbo is uh, going from bar to bar trying to track this fellow down. Well, let's talk about the first place he goes. He goes to this one place called the Aquarium <laughs> Club or something. And uh, he's asking He's asking the bartender, like, "Oh, can I talk to so and so?" This lady who was a known associate of, of uh, the, the fake British, real British guy. He said, "Oh, well, why do you want to know?" He started talking about, "Oh, I had some money for like for some reason." Columbo chooses to pretend he's given out money for a gangster, which I don't yeah. know why he doesn't. Anyway, but so Johnny Few
2: Hairs, yeah, Johnny, Johnny Few So well,
0: the the so the bartender shows him this aquarium behind the bar, and you see this tiny woman dancing in the aquarium. So Columbus goes to the basement to talk to her. Here's the thing. Apparently the setup is such that she's in the basement in front of some sort of apparatus doing these tumbling things on a rope. So when people are looking at the aquarium behind the bar upstairs, it looks like she's kind of floating in the water. I cannot for the life of me figure out physically how this illusion works. If and also, pepper- if they pepper- go to that illusion. much trouble to do it, why not have it on a large Wall or something? Why, why would it be just kind of there, sort of behind the bar, behind the bartender? You, you'd want if you go into that much trouble to have to pay a woman to do that for hours a night to make sure maintain that whole thing, which must be pretty complicated. That should be like up on a like, huge wall up the side, like next no, no, to the they, TV they set. Can,
1: they would have done that, but they can only afford uh, that size of an aquarium.
2: <laughs> oh, it's not no, a very no. nice bar.
1: But <laughs> no, well, seen...
0: I don't, I don't yeah. get how that works. Is it some sort of apparatus with? Mirrors are involved somehow, but first, I thought like, it was oh, a, It's a video I, thing, but it's not a video thing. I don't no, know. What it, well, it,
1: is. It, it clearly is a video thing when they show it to us, right? But, but they no, ha- but
0: it's not supposed to be that.
1: No, they have it set up, and I think it's supposed to be a Pepper's Ghost illusion.
0: A Pepper, uh, uh, John, please enlighten us on the a, uh, a Pepper's
1: Ghost. Ghost. A Pepper's Ghost illusion uses yeah. uh, performers or some model uh, with light being shown on it, and then an angled piece of glass used or angled uh, mirror used to reflect the images onto a a piece of glass.
0: Okay. So it's doing this up in the bar then. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, but the way, unfortunately the way they actually show it to us. Because
0: it would be reversed, but it's not reversed.
1: It would be reversed. And also when we, when we look out the glass, we can see the bar patrons. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't do a very good job of setting it up, but I think it's a Pepper's ghost illusion. But
0: you know what? They had to do it. So they look through and see the bar patrons. Why? So they could throw in the classic, old drunk man can't believe what he's
1: seeing gag. Did you know that's actually that. hap- That's
0: one of my favorite tropes. That, I actu- love that
1: actually happened to me in real life.
0: What? Really? How? how, how?
1: I'll tell you a very short story. Back okay. when I was living in Tucson, Arizona, was, middle of the summer, I was driving down uh, for our listeners in Tucson. I was driving to the Sonic on uh, Houghton and Broadway, and uh, which is out kind of an open desert for the most part. And uh, also there's an Albertsons there and we have loose liquor laws in Arizona. So a lot of drunk hobos and homeless dudes go wandering around that area. And while I was waiting in the left-hand turn lane to turn into the Sonic, I saw uh, an old grizzled drunk guy walking down the street drinking straight out of a bottle of vodka, like a pint of vodka. Uh And I was kind of concerned because it was a hot day and I was wondering if I should get some water at the Sonic and bring him some water. And I, I, I was certainly maybe staring at him more then you're supposed to stare at a stranger. Right. And at some point he looked back at me, looked real hard at me, looked at the bottle, looked oh. at me again, oh, and no. threw the bottle to the ground oh, and walked away with his head shaking.
2: The hallucination. hallucination. I can't. I just oh would love God. to know what he thought
1: he saw. Oh
0: my God.
1: One of the greatest days of my life.
0: Wow. You actually instigated that. What yep. that th- oh
1: man. And now it's real. Oh, but, uh, boy. so let's, uh, let's keep moving though. Cause there's so much to talk about. So well, I also uh, want to
0: say like the, the oh. whole, the whole vibe I got from that weird thing where the old man ends up waving at them and you just see tiny Columbo and tiny, right. like, it, it just felt very much like a David Lynch movie for a moment. <laughs> All of a sudden it's bled over into Columbo. It's like, Oh my God. It felt like Thomas the tank engine to me. Okay. Maybe more. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so, so the next place he goes to find this British guy,
1: is uh, some the LA kind of, rock box. So oh, what's it called? The L.A. Rock Box.
0: Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Well, where, where do you see? Where does it say? Like, so I just remember it's just saying Cocktail Lounge, very generically. Because she, she
1: says he, she says he hangs out at the L.A. Rock Box. And ah, Columbo okay. goes,
0: but, but the watch actual that like, again? outside shot, it's just saying like this says Cocktail Lounge. They couldn't and bother getting the new sign. Box. But yeah, they go in there, and who's in there on stage playing piano?
1: Little Richard. Little, Little Richard. Richard.
0: All of a sudden, and Columbo enjoys Little Richard's music for a while.
1: And uh speaking of which I'm going to defer to Nate on this too. Yeah. Was was th- I've I looked I tried to find if Little Richard had a song called Boogie Woogie Woogie with lyrics like went looking for my friends but my friends could not be found. <laughs> which just sounds really dark for a Little Richard song. Was yeah. was that just a sound alike cuz they couldn't get the rights?
2: I don't know. I mean, I kind of lost track of his uh discography after like the late 70s or uh, early 70s i think like the last thing he did chronologically that i still listen to is his uh he did the theme for the uh oh that movie money aka uh, dollars which is the, the the title was just a dollar sign and it had uh starred uh warren beatty and goldie hawn and had a uh, soundtrack by quincy jones it was a pretty decent okay. movie okay but anyhow um yeah, I don't know what the, like, Little Richard circa 1991, like, I think this was one of his several comebacks because he had the, uh, you know, he went religious in the uh, in the like, late 50s, went back to secular music in the early 60s, uh, had, you know, 10 years or so as one of those elder statesman type careers, kind of went back underground uh, quit, and then returned to music again. And the thing is, in 1991, he, and I am quoting this directly from Wikipedia, so don't mistake this for any major expertise on my part, <laughs> but he was one of the featured performers on the hit single and video, Voices That Care, that was produced to help boost the morale of U.S. troops involved in Operation Desert Storm.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, there we go. Oh. Wow.
2: Plus around that so time, so what too, he's he was, doing playing? In, so what he's doing playing in some guy's basement? I don't know.
1: Well, wasn't he? He was also fairly frequent, frequently on like celebrity guest show game shows at the time.
2: I think. Yeah, so, course, yeah. You would see him at, like yeah. a TGIF
0: sitcoms, just showing up. Like, oh, this week we got like he was doing a lot of just going around to TV shows, being Little Richard. Yeah, I think night. A- acting up a storm, yeah, but this one though, so it turns out, uh, Nettie Malcolm, the drummer, had played with Little Richard in the past. And so he'd like to find Nutty Malcolm. He'd like to help
1: because he you know needs why? a drummer. Yeah. I need a new drummer.
0: But This one can't too. keep
1: a beat. Colombo
0: doesn't introduce himself as a cop. Cell. he still introduces no. himself as this associate with a fake uh, mafia guy named uh, Yeah uh, Johnny Fewhairs. With a name like that, that yes. man's she- got to be
2: bald. <laughs> that's, <laughs> another, that's another Richard <laughs>
0: Little Richard, they just told him to I think ad lib because underneath the entire scene when is talking to this British guy, you just hear him saying stuff like, What's going on over there?
2: Hey, yeah, it's it's just go KDR. What's going
0: on? It's- well, you know that's a thing. Hey, what's happening? Like,
1: what, he says when 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 the uh, the nifty fifties Cockney con man or whatever he is comes into the <laughs> comes into the room, uh little little Richard does his line about where you've been and ends with, I missed you.
0: Which is nice, that's nice I missed you oh thanks boss I missed you too <laughs> I've got some new drum lines for boogie woogie- woogie if you still got any the act oi. well I would love to hear that I'm little Richard yeah oh that's... car
1: I ran them past my girlfriend Mary
0: did you um... ever find your friends I heard they couldn't be found oh it's <laughs> <no. laughs>
1: it a little joke out... me and rich have to it <laughs> have you looked down the Have you looked down the hungry street at the shadows?
2: <laughs> uh,
1: a yeah. fine scene, and then little Richard just <laughs> enters and leaves yeah. like like a wistful dream. He's suddenly gone from the episode.
0: And you know, I, I think, I'm sure the promos for this uh. probably had oh, had little Richard like was. I'm sure I'm just guessing the promos on ABC. I'm, a, like, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna definitely check the TV Guide archives and see if the ads had them because I bet the ads. Well, mentioned they
2: probably them. did. They probably did. What I wouldn't give for like just <coughs> fifteen more minutes of Peter Falk, Little Richard, Manter. Right. That would just <laughs> oh, be yeah. that would that would help save this episode. I think.
0: <laughs> Still talking about Johnny Fewhairs. The oh, legendary, wait, the legendary, uh, Los Angeles mob boss Johnny Fewhairs.
1: With a name like that.
0: I think he I think he I think he's a minor character um in uh James Elroy's Underworld USA trilogy.
1: Wouldn't it be really terrible if we were making fun of Johnny Fewhairs and it turns out he was responsible for the Black Dahlia murders? <laughs> I know. Uh <laughs> you Yeah, there's a, with Mickey Cohen. <laughs> there's a lot of like really weird cameo or like little little character bits in this and little Richard is definitely the cherry on top of it. Yeah. Uh, my other favorites were the, the the Man Mountain Housekeeper who was furious at Columbo. Oh, yeah, that was oh, strange God. for
0: no good reason. It becomes yeah. this wacky thing and it just – why was she so angry? She's like a,
1: a giant Sandy Toxvig or a female Hagrid from Harry Potter. Well, here's the thing. And just,
0: and just the day before, you'd think she'd be a little bit quiet and sullen because she had discovered a corpse. Right. But now like she's just her like – bo- Like her boss's body – in the house like well now I gotta clean this house oh and this detective is messing everything
2: up
1: oh, <laughs> why, do have to,
2: why do I have to clean this place up there's nobody living here anymore anyways <laughs> oh, dead dead people don't care about dirt
1: I do like too that uh, at some point Columbo makes mention of the fact that as as in, as insistent as she is that the house stay clean she walked right through the Zen garden yeah she just completely destroyed the Zen garden on her way to the house, which we know has, well, a, has John, a paved entry. Oh god!
0: she didn't seem like a very Zen kind of lady.
1: If <laughs> the, right. there's, a, a there's a little uptight. There's a paved entry in the front of the house, <clears throat> which we briefly see. So I don't know why everybody didn't use that door, but you had to walk well, across the Zen garden to get in.
0: Here's what I'm guessing. She seems like an unpleasant person in the first place. There's probably <laughs> been a thing going on for years between right. her. And, you know, that gardener guy pissed her off a few years ago. So every time she comes in after he's done the work, it's like, fine, I'm going to walk right through. She's <laughs> been, <on>. she's been <laughs> doing that. It's been this, like, terrible, passive-aggressive thing. She's been doing to that poor old gardener for years because, I don't know, he. she thought he gave her a dirty look or something like that one time. She's like, oh, well, fine, screw him. I'm just going to – Maybe she's just right flat
1: out – I'm just going to say she's flat out racist.
0: That could be, yeah. which, which maybe that should segue into that discussion. About. Yes, uh,
1: which puts her in good company with the writers because yes. uh, this is something we talked about when when Mallory Ortberg was on the show. We we were watching the John Cassavetes episode that Pat Morita yeah was in that episode playing uh like the fast talking hyperactive Asian handyman character who's got very little English and so he has to talk rapidly and animatedly. Um, and this is twenty years later, and that character type has not vanished. And he's present in this episode as the Japanese gardener, who Columbo uh, seeks out in order to get uh, to get a really irritating piece of, uh, of of a clue, which we can talk about a little later. But and he's doing the exact same character, which is the guy that doesn't speak a lot of English. Columbo like can't pronounce his name right, uh, and he does kind of like the the fawning. Uh, Asian stereotype is very annoying,
2: and I noticed that. But I also noticed, like maybe it was just the dynamic of the conversation. But I got the impression that Colombo was having a difficult time understanding English. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they do that with Colombo a lot, particularly in the '90s, where he'll he'll have an interaction with a uh, with an ethnic character who's got a menial job, like there'll be like a, a Ukrainian washerwoman or something. And I think what they're trying to convey is that in contrast to these high power, high profile, wealthy, important people, Columbo, even though he's brilliant, even though he's performing an, a valuable task, is socially speaking on the level of someone who does menial tasks and can't speak English. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think you can accomplish that without doing, you know, oh, yeah. Do you know how they ended that scene? I could, my wife and I were watching this and we're rolling our eyes and I said, I bet this ends with a da 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 <laughs> oh, and it does. Oh, it does? wraps oh, up da 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 Wow, it's oh ninety-one.
2: Oh, excuse for that. Yeah. Well, I think we're still coming off of the, you know, the the classic nineteen eighties fear of all things Japanese that came with the with the economic bubble. Right, yeah, but the, yeah.
1: If we didn't have the, the Japanese. We wouldn't be able to make those little boom boxes for only two ninety nine.
0: That's true. Yeah. You can buy a at Dodi's at discount store.
2: <laughs> you can, you Sorry, right, I'm still a little. You're still a little rattled by what uh, you know what happened over at the Nakatomi Plaza.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, nice. That's a
2: problem. yes. <laughs> too soon.
0: Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Um, where are we at time wise? Oh, I, I before okay. Uh, before we we get too close to the end. Uh, I want to bring up the thing that bothered me the most of this, where I kind of could forgive a lot of this thing's faults, you know, for the because of the good stuff we talked about, but then it gets into the home stretch, actually trying to trap the guy, and this thing pulls such a huge cheat for a mystery, a huge <laughs> horrible goddamn cheat. So uh, when when you have his assistant uh, confronting uh, Dabney Coleman with this saying like, I think you killed her because you just happened to send me off on that errand that day with your car. That's all she says. She doesn't say anything about what we find later on that you sent me on an errand with your car the other day where you also had me wear a paper mask of your face in case a traffic Ugh. light camera took a photo of my face. I mean, that, that doesn't come up to like well into the third act. And that's a huge right. important thing. And she doesn't mention that at all as part of the, seemingly normal errand he had her
1: run that day yeah when she confronts him really early in the episode and she says oh that's why you had me run that errand down to to or wherever it was and doesn't even hint dressed like you dressed like you (laughs) wearing a photograph of your face over
0: my face like some weird silence of the lamb skin mask no it doesn't say (laughs) that at all
2: I don't even think it had any eye holes in it. How
0: is she supposed to drive? I was wondering that much. So, okay. So, so for folks, if you don't end up seeing this thing. So Columbo thinks he's got this guy nailed tight to the wall. He's got a cowboy attorney out of nowhere for some reason. Uh, Columbo gets dressed down in front of his captain, in front of the DA, because he says, Oh, look, we've got one of those photo parking tickets showing clearly he was going through this the time that she was murdered. There you go. Blah, blah, blah. And it turns out, well, no she had been wearing a photographic mask of his face while driving down the city streets, which is kind of insane in itself and creepy, but they don't say anything about that earlier on. So it's like, Oh, throwing this a very important element, like the last minute, just to sort of shoehorn the mystery into working.
2: And it is yeah, for like oh, the first like hour and 15 minutes, literally every single thing Columbo finds is a blatant mistake on Crichton's part. Yes. Like, Oh, hey, hey, we found the, uh, we found all this, you know, paint on top of this frame. So oh, and it hire, looks would, like it. Yeah. yeah, and so this detective you hired, who, you know, to film your, uh, you know, your non-wife and you know, her drummer friend having oh, sex. It. There's your motive oh, right there. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Oh, hey, there's paint on the lens. Okay, oh, hey, there you, you go. Buy,
1: you buy murder my wife brand champagne. There's there's yeah, there's, you there's your weapon.
0: The yes. Opportunity. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Here's the thing we haven't mentioned at all before. Even in the scenes, they're just privately the two characters that involves talking to each other specifically about that day. Ah. It it's just, also it terrible writing. Terrible. It's writing.
1: also revealed at a really weird scene that goes on a long time. Yes. And I, I appreciate it because it gives more, gives us more Coleman and, and Falk time. <sighs> right. But but also and introduces also- a cowboy lawyer. <laughs> a
0: cowboy lawyer.
1: Out what of is- nowhere. Yes. They don't explain who he is. Is he one of the partners? Nah, he's just another. He's a cowboy lawyer. Shows up in his cowboy hat and his bolo tie, and then vanishes. Hey, there we go. I got
0: you down, Columbo. Yee-haw! And then runs out. <laughs> <laughs> shooting, his, shooting his six guns, just going out there, running out of there, like all right. Oh, well, let's. I mean, they all have a big laugh about it. They're so they're such assholes about it too. Oh, they really are. They're oh, so yeah. Coleman, the cowboy lawyer. And uh, the, the associate sure lady, yeah. they're just having a grand old time when they leave the
2: DA's office. Like,
0: oh, we showed up that moron.
2: <laughs> now let's celebrate with a steak dinner. I'm yes. going to order chicken noodle soup and they'll read go to an autopsy cl- report they'll while go, I eat.
0: Yes, they'll go to the club and have a big, thick steak. New York steaks. New York's. That New York.
2: And uh, to be fair, I had a New York steak on my birthday, and it was pretty damn good. That's I've the heard steak. they're
0: good, especially good with old mm-hmm. policemen. <laughs> Old policemen love New York's.
1: That's another weird uh Columboism is that normally the the Columbo eating dinner with his uh, suspect gag is it starts with Columbo going, Oh, these prices, and like getting really shocked. Yeah. And then not ordering something, or ordering something like do you have chili? Do you have like just give me some ketchup and hot water or whatever? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this time he does, he reverses the gag. And so I'll have a steak
2: and a salad of the Caesar salad and some soup and it's some family. asparagus. He
0: the whole menu. It's great. That's very funny. Plus, the, the
2: budget in this menu. one. He also buys his own uh, bottle of champagne just to prove right. the point about the works.
0: I know. Well, that's, that was a weird thing about this, too. Like, um, because you, you see him at work, you see him at the police department, you see him at the office, which is strange. Right. And Making point, you peanut
2: butter and, and raisin sandwich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, which
1: is strange.
0: But it, that was really strange to me, too, actually seeing him in that environment, because the other ones mm-hmm. you don't see that very often at all, like in the squad room.
1: Yeah, it doesn't pop up a lot. A couple times in the 70s we get into the squad room, but not often.
0: Okay, so I, I, I have an idea where this is going to go. Okay. Uh, guys, uh, let's start with Nate. Overall, what did you think of this episode? Good, bad, <sighs> different...
2: You know, it was not my best introduction to the 90s Eric Columbo. I, I appreciate that the two leads, uh, you know, Dabney and Peter Falk, gave it their all. I mildly enjoyed the Little Richard cameo, even though it was, it was so, far it was less so than odd. I expected. It was, it was funny and odd. That's why I liked it, yeah. It's just, I got the murder, I didn't get the rock star. <laughs> you know, it, it, it 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 delivered on maybe half of what it promised. I guess.
1: Oh, actually, let's let's take an aside here, Nate. Uh, what rock stars would you have liked to have seen murdered
2: in this <laughs> oh, 1991 boy. episode of From Columbo that era? In 1991.
1: 1991. Huh. It's maybe is it too early or too late for Billy Joel?
2: Oh boy! Late actually, I was going Joel. to say Debbie
1: actually. Coleman's been having an affair with Billy Joel in this type of. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's oh, always no. a debney to me. Oh, oh dear! <laughs> Tell but no, my, about my my choice would have actually been Axl Rose, so we wouldn't have to go mm-hmm. through all that whole rigmarole about Chinese He's democracy. Not, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, John. Yes, sir. Your opinion of this show you you have seen and remember <laughs> a lot more of the '90s ones than I have. Yeah. Is this kind of on par with what we're going to be expecting out of
1: these? The the '90s are definitely of a shakier quality than the '70s ones, and you oh, pointed out boy, earlier. Oh boy, this is going to be a you, tough slug. <laughs> oh, you, God. you pointed out earlier the problem is that the the earlier ones were shot like films. These are a lot more uh, scene by scene, yeah. and so they can be a lot more episodic within the uh, within the show itself. So I would not say this is a stronger '90s episode. Okay, but uh, if I had to draw, first. if I had to put it near the median, it's okay. pretty it's pretty close to the median. So All right. Get ready for some much worse ones. Oh,
0: boy. Like yeah. the George Went one. The George <laughs> yeah, Went one is coming. We're going to do the
1: George <laughs> Went one someday. Uh, but, yeah, you know, obviously loved uh, – in love with Dabney Coleman, Peter Falk scenes. I'm a huge Dabney Coleman fan. Yeah. But this one had a lot of loose ends, a lot of stuff that wasn't necessary. The entire subplot of him having a uh, – building high rises and investing his money in real estate development doesn't pay off. Uh, it's not even what he gets blackmailed about. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts to his plan, like too many, yeah, for it to be reasonable. There's, there's, and yeah, there's a lot that I don't like about it. I'm sad to say it's the it's the one episode where Dabney Coleman is a murderer. I had really high hopes for it, and that's also going to color my uh, my response to this. So no, I, I would not a fan of this one.
0: Yeah. I I gotta agree too. I mean, there's stuff. I mean, the thing is, the the first part with the murder, the first twenty minutes. A lot of it, it's all Dabney Coleman. Like, you feel nervous. Right. Like, there's some menace there. He's doing some yeah. great work. And then we actually get into the show, and it's, yeah, it just kind of falls apart. And the thing that just completely ruined most of it for me was that just really, really sloppy reveal of, oh, here's this very important thing that we just didn't bother bringing up now. But it seems like, oh, they just thought of it while they were shooting that day. And like, oh, no, it's it's a mask. It's funny. like It just... That really, yeah, let's, Just let's, the writing mystery story-wise, that just completely made the entire thing fall apart for me.
2: Fuck yeah. okay, it. Let's just Scooby-Doo this bastard. <laughs> this.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what it felt like a little bit. I don't know. So our, fir- our first 90s episode of the podcast, hopefully... Okay. Uh, hopefully Although, you know,
1: you know what? I'm going gonna, gonna to say that if folks uh, th- uh, want to watch a, a real weirdo 90s episode, this is a good weirdo episode. It's,
0: it's strange
1: and it's oh, it's yeah. kind of worth watching just for how all over the map it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. It it has got some good moments, but just overall it it's going to leave the bad columbo taste in, in your mouth.
1: Even for the bad moments. If you're a columbo fan, if you've seen a lot of combo, you love columbo and you want to see columbo with the wheels coming off, <laughs> this is a this is a <laughs> good example.
2: So it'll Less it'll
1: show long. you how not to to put together a really good columbo episode.
2: Okay. And lest we forget, watch all the way through to the end of the credits because oh, yes. It, it, it goes full circle. We get, uh, we get bookends of the uh, Closer <laughs> and Closer song. Uh, this time, we get to see sure. Columbo singing along, sort yes. of. Until it is, he, and his convertible. For, singing along yeah. to the
0: song with the uh, boombox for his nephew from Doty's <laughs> discount store. Yeah, God bless. Oh, and also, can I just bring up uh, one, one very quick thing? It was a little disturbing to hear uh, Peter Falk going on quite a while about uh, sex in the air and the pop in the spritz. Oh yeah. In relation to the whole uh, oh. in relation to the whole uh, champagne thing, how the lovers wouldn't have yeah, that sex in thought, the air and pop in the spritz.
1: I thought it was sweet oh. and and it so, was sweet,
0: it was lovely, but still straight a bit strange. And and oh, so yeah. did his
1: sergeant. His sergeant thought it was sweet. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> she was she was looking at him with this indulgent air of, Oh, you wonderful old man.
0: Yeah, but that that was like it seemed like all the cops had that, which seems strange, but that's yeah. yeah. All right, well, it's time now for viewer mail. Uh, we always welcome our listeners to write into us. Uh, Columbo at thecitydesk.net. We had a couple letters uh, this time around. Uh, first one is from Bill Ziders. He writes in to say, Hi, I just want to say I've just found your podcast and started watching Columbo on Netflix. I know my parents watched Columbo back in the day and I was familiar with the idea of the character but never really saw any episodes. So thanks, I think, for getting me into it. Okay, I just wanted to mention a great Columbo character moment from A Deadly State of Mind. That's the uh, George Hamilton one. I don't recall you talking about your podcast. When Columbo finds the folded up clothes in the balcony, he is completely entranced by the jewelry wrapped up in the shoe. Meanwhile, in the background, the other two detectives are discovering the stolen jewelry that Richard Hamilton placed inside the planter. Columbo is completely ignoring them. He's so... Oh, yeah. He's so far ahead of them that the discovery of the jewels and wallet are completely pointless I loved that moment. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Yeah, Bill Z. Yeah, that's right. They, they were working way back there, and he's already on the next thing. He's like, ah, yeah, okay, I got the – he already is like, keyed into to the more important evidence. So, yeah. Yep. Thank you. Um, that's a good our, observation. I like that. Our next email comes from Samana. I'm going to ruin – I'm sorry. I'm going to ruin your last name probably. I apologize for this, Samana. Samana Harswara. I think I got that right. I have just started listening to your podcast. Makes me very, very, very three varies very happy, and I thank you for making and sharing it. I have a copy of Peter Falk's autobiography, and I recommend it, if only for the anecdote about the Romanian government getting him to stave off their incipient rebellion. (laughs) Maybe that, maybe that's the George Went episode. Is that that what happens? That episode? Uh, Not
1: precisely. Not precisely. I was hoping
0: because then I really would want to watch it.
1: Uh, This is a. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, are you, are you done with that one? Cause I yeah, want no, done, yeah, it's yeah. All, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, yes, and thank you for I want to, I really want, uh, folks to keep suggesting alternate reading for us. Cause we've had folks give us some book ideas and I love learning more about the show. So please, if there's anything you can think of to throw away, articles you find online, videos on YouTube, like the the Peter Falk roasting Frank Sinatra uh, video we put up a little while ago, anything you can find, send it our way, and I'll put it up on the Tumblr. Yeah, just uh, uh, and respond really to comments, appreciate it. Respond in the comments,
0: respond to the comments, email it in, columbus.net, and we will. Uh, we definitely love to hear about that stuff. Or uh, perhaps even leave a review on the iTunes for the podcast. That would be great. Uh, well, thank you very much, Nate Patron, for joining us. Thank you very much for your music Early 90s music history insight.
2: Well, thank you that for having me on the show. I think we well, learned our, some things.
0: I, I learned I learned about that. What was the name of that illusion again, John?
1: It's Pepper's Ghost.
0: Pepper's Ghost.
1: It's uh, what they use at the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Pepper's Ghost. I'll have to get one of those put in my basement. <laughs> After I put some tile down. Uh, all right. Well, that's the program uh, this time around. Once again, I thank our guest, Nate Patron. Uh, You can listen to The City Desk. The City Desk. You can listen to Just One More Thing. New episodes or old at thecitydesk.net slash justonemorething. Uh, We're also in the podcast section of iTunes. uh, Just search for us or go to the TV and film section. Or pretty much any sort of podcast, listening reader device you're using, you can get to us on that. Uh, We also have the Tumblr, which John mentioned earlier. It's teamcolumbo.tumblr.com. John's always posting... Uh, links to videos items online new stuff plus he also does this great roundup uh, where he gets like some really cool screen grabs from every episode that'll probably be up there a couple days after you listen to this or maybe the day of who knows um but yeah we've got all that stuff out there on the internet uh so listen to it read it all that i'm rj white i'm john morris thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time
1: one more thing. Running like the shadows <laughs> out of our gray street. You were just the
2: kind of man. All right.